Hello and welcome to episode 99, 99 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And uh, this week we're here to talk Kevin's pick, The Boys from Brazil, directed by Franklin Shafter, and from uh, 1978, the Hitlerian thriller. <laughs> uh Starring Gregory Peck and uh, Olivier, amongst others. And uh, mm. we're also going to talk about other stuff we watched. It's episode 99. We got this episode to go, and then we're on episode 100. Now, have we officially... Dis- uh, yeah, right, exactly. That's the last one. <laughs> have we officially decided that what we're doing, that plan that we talked about for episode 100? I, don't, I forgot um, the plan. <laughs> you forgot the plan. Let's, let's talk about it. Kevin, do you remember the plan? I believe it was your idea, right? Yeah, um, to review a movie or movies that were 100 years old. Um, I know we talked a bunch of Chaplin, um, Phantom Carriage, and uh, I think John had a Hamlet. There's a Hamlet from 21 that I want to watch. Mm, yeah, it's on yeah. YouTube, so I'm going to watch that. Right. Is that the plan? Are we doing this? Let's do it. Okay, so That's next week for episode 100 we'll be watching... Films that are 100 years old. <laughs> I think that over the course of our, let's say, five-year run, I don't know how long it's been, um, we have really revealed ourselves to be knowledgeable masters of the silent art form, cinema form. So I think it's going to be great. <laughs> Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a real slog <laughs> of a show. But, uh, <laughs> um, and then I guess the following week will be my pick. I mean, I don't want to do, we don't want to do... Four different movies, right? I mean, like, or do we want to do a pick next week? I don't even think about. I haven't thought about it, honestly. Mm. Should we just do the reviews of our 100-year-old movies. I guess. Well, I don't know. Then that would end up being kind of a short episode yeah. because I imagine we're not going to watch just 100-year-old movies. <clears throat> well, we'd also meantime. do what, what we watched. But uh, yeah, okay. Right. Well, I'll, okay, I'll have a pick then at the end of the episode. Okay. All right. Well, uh, other than that business, let's uh, let's get started. What did we watch since episode ninety-eight two weeks ago? Mm. Who wants to start? I'll start this time. Um, <laughs> so I finally got around to rewatching Wizard of Oz. I'd seen it many, many times. I had seen, you know, I've done Dark Dark Side of the Rainbow with the Pink Floyd's Dark oh, Side yeah. of the Moon a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. And, I like, <laughs> I guess just because I was young, I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on. Like, I didn't realize how, like, I don't want to say hokey, but, like, just kind of, it's very of its time, like, there's, you know, like on the way to the witch's castle, there's a sign that says, I'd turn back if I were you. And like, that's very Looney Tunes to me. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, I, <laughs> I just I just thought it was like really like from what I understand, it didn't do well when it opened at the box office. And I can I can honestly kind of see why. I can see a little bit how it's become a classic now, you know, years and years later, because, you know, it's one of these one of these stories. Um, but 
but also like the minuscule amount of water that only hits the witch's face and then proceeds to just melt her into oblivion. I was like, like I said in my letterbox review, like Dorothy could have just spat in her face and been done with it. If that That's was true, if that was the only amount of water that it took to just just, you know, destroy this witch well i mean it is a children's film i mean i yeah, it seems you... <laughs> it seems like it doesn't do to nitpick it that much only because you know mm, it's not made yeah. for the adult logic you know it's made for children and it's made well, for 1939 children also i don't know i think there's a little bit more for like that's why i said looney tunes earlier because like when when she meets the equi- the professor marvel at the beginning of the movie and like he's like the um, the wizard in Oz, like he, you know, tells her to close her eyes, and then he pulls a picture out of out of her um out of her basket, and then he's like, "Oh, uh, I I see a woman," and uh, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I th- that's that's very much like you know, adults are more gonna pick up on like, oh, he's uh he's kind of a uh, con man oh i see what you're saying well i mean yeah, yeah okay I, I i don't know i i think that um yeah. i mean i don't i haven't seen the film since i was a teenager but uh but i feel like that you know the love that it would get now like i don't think i i, I don't know that most people consider it a classic to be honest it doesn't feel like a movie that you know your your people who are into disney movies and shit watch regularly you know I would say it's more revered as like a technical achievement, you know. It's like a really well-made movie, and the mm. black and white to color and uh, all that kind of stuff, and the sets, and also the there's a little bit of the silliness of the lore behind it, like the urban mm. legends about people dying and shit, uh, which I mm. think are all proven wrong at this point. Yeah, and Judy Garland being. Uh, forced to have abortions and all this kind of stuff i mean you know it's a it's just a very sort of iconic film and also the the um i think what keeps it in uh its longevity could be could be uh credited also to like other films that reference it Mm, for sure like even like uh the one that comes to mind right away which is not a good example but wild at heart the david lynch film references it a lot even though you know that's not a very well known movie either, but there are lots of movies that reference it, obviously. Mm, yeah. All right. Well, I will go next. I watched. Oh man, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about here. Oh, I do. Yes, I do. I'm going to watch. Chi- I watched Chimes at Midnight, which is from 1965, and it's directed by Orson Welles, and it's. Uh, adapted from three different Shakespeare plays, uh, Henry the Fourth, parts one and two, and Henry the Fifth. And uh, I've never heard Henry. I've never read Henry the Fifth. I've never seen a Henry the Fifth film at this point. I'm familiar with it only because, um, you know, it's historical. I know the story, and I did watch uh, the Timothy Chalamet vehicle, The King, on Netflix, which is essentially like a gritty re- retelling of the. Of the story. It's classic. It's yeah. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Chimes at Midnight stars Wells as uh, Falstaff, and it is absolutely wonderful. I enjoyed it a great deal. I thought it was 
incredibly well acted. Uh, John Gilgood as the aging king has some amazing soliloquies that he delivers. I like the... I forget, I don't know who the guy... I guess it's Keith Baxter. I don't know who this guy is, but he plays Hal in the film. He's like the young kid who becomes Henry V. He's his Henry V, essentially. And um, he's really excellent. And I guess he, was, he was, it looks like he was only in like nine movies in his career. So I'm not sure what's up with his, his deal, but he's really good. I don't know, it's just full of great acting. And the filmmaking itself is quite... Uh, it's like... You watch Citizen Kane, and you can see Orson Welles, you know, breaking rules and doing things that are very, very interesting and unusual for the time. And then I watch The Stranger, and it's just like, what is he doing on The Stranger, man? It's just like a cliched, lame kind of, you know, like, it looks like anybody could have directed this fucking thing. <laughs> Gotta get over The Stranger. I'm sorry. I, this, is, this is his filmography. He's he's such a bizarre director to me. Because, and I understand, like, his shit's, he's notorious for, you know, he's got the artist, the artist mentality, and the studio rips his pictures away from him and fucks with him and stuff. But, like, Chimes at Midnight is so much more like Citizen Kane, and it's sort of avant-garde editing and things like this. I mean, it's just really amazing. And there's a battle sequence in it that is so influential on battle sequences for, like, every movie you've ever seen that has a medieval battle sequence. It looks exactly like Braveheart, and, I mean, it's 30 years before it. It's incredible. I mean, it's not as violent, obviously, or graphically violent. But um, just the editing and the way the people are moving, and it's very, like, brutal, like they're beating each other to death with rocks and shit like this. It's really intense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching more Wells, you know, which is something I didn't think I would ever... I don't think I ever have the phase where I would want to watch Orson Welles movies because I've never mm. really liked Citizen Kane. I've seen it, I think, three times now. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of it, but... I'll tell you, this one's a winner. I think you'd be more of a non-Hollywood Wells kind of guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, like Citizen Kane, Stranger, and I uh, Lady I from haven't Shanghai. seen Ambersons yet. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I enjoyed Lady from Shanghai. I think it's kind of a... I, I think it's kind of generic film noir, but it's got some... It's got a lot of interesting stuff. But, like, yeah, I think John might more, you know appreciate like you know mr arcaden or stuff like that i could well, i, I want to really see, see oh, yeah what no go ahead. i just see you going like hard either way on uh the trial a movie i adore but um, that's based on the kafka novel yeah, or, mm-hmm. okay i want to see that and i really want to see touch of evil because i feel like that's the big one that i'm not that i haven't seen um so i really want to watch i think that's going to be the next one i watch is touch of evil but um mm. But yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm excited to see everything. To be perfectly honest, uh, at this point, I mean everything that's available. I've you look at his filmography on IMDb, and there's so many movies that he was director on that just like don't exist or haven't come out, or they're like I guess they're in a vault somewhere or something. You know, it's just like I don't. It's it's a shame. You know, they should be available to the public. We yeah, have I think, better patronage for great artists. Yeah, I think that was the deal with um. Uh, the other side of the wind, like it was locked up in like legal difficulties for like forty years, and I guess the same with like Hopper Wells, this new documentary about him and Hopper, which uh, he apparently co-directed. 
which I don't even know mm. what that means exactly. He might have just like you know they might have given him the co-directing credit because he was there and mm. giving them <laughs> advice or something. You know what I mean? But I don't. Yeah. Know, but no, but anyways, uh, yeah, chimes at midnight rules. Check Sweet. it out. Jr. Yeah, you know I'm so glad you guys have been talking about these wonderful classics so that um, I can talk about the new Nicolas Cage movie Willy's Wonderland. All right. Uh, <laughs> which is I don't know how this is. Uh, as a middle school teacher, I am aware of a book series called Five Nights at Freddy's, which oh, is that's what this is based on. It's not, but it is. <laughs> Like it's mm. definitely like a Chuck E. Cheese place. Um, characters come to life, and they're trying to murder Nicolas Cage. Um, so I don't know how that this is not a copyright issue, but uh, it's not, I guess. Or we'll see, rather. <laughs> but yeah, um, Nicolas Cage is this, uh, you know, he's, like the, the plot synopsis calls him a drifter. We don't, he drives a fast car. He doesn't say anything. Every once in a while when he, like, stops his car, opens his trunk, he grabs a, uh, what's called a punch pop, which is some sort of cola thing from his, uh, his giant cooler of punch pops. And, um, when his car breaks down or his tire blows out, uh, you know, a tow truck driver picks him up and the driver and this other guy kind of offer him, like, a place, like, we can't get it fixed till tomorrow, um, so why don't you, uh, do us a favor We'll fix the car for free if you go into this old uh, Chuck E. Cheese style place I'm trying to reopen and you help clean it up. Um, we've already seen that the Chuck E. Cheese place is like haunted. Uh, it's clear very quickly that the people of this town are aware that the place is like... Like that the, the robotic monsters kill people. Uh, and they're like clearly sacrificing people uh, to the Chuck E. Cheese place. And um, and that's it. Nicholas Cage never says a word, and he beats the shit out of animatronic animals. And, he doesn't uh, have any lines in the film. Zero lines. Oh my Zero god! Lines. It's a. Uh, it's weird. It's weird, and it's also like this is. You guys could have guessed this. This is a movie that is like shot and edited and soundtracked. Uh, in a way that is like clearly trying to be like just so cool. It's trying to be some fifteen-year-old's like jack-off dream of a of like a great, you know, self-aware movie. And uh, that self-awareness hurts it. It's it's trying, like just trying to be cool is not cool, as we all know. So that's as, right. You know, as three cool guys who don't try to be cool, we all exactly. know exactly, exactly. What are you mm. fucking trying to do? Something bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, you know, distinguish yourself. Give me a break. It's like, it, of course, <laughs> these like uh, teenagers get mixed up in this, and then it becomes like a slasher movie for a little bit. But it's really just about Nicolas Cage beating the shit out of robots um, silently. Yes, <laughs> soundtracked with like this sort of like, like I don't know, we're gonna call it like a heavy. It's it's not metal, but it's it's leaning in that direction, kind of score. Mm. Um, and that's it. That's what a bummer, man. It. I mean, not a bummer because like I, <laughs> yeah, what, I had what heard were my about this. Yeah, I mean, I had heard about this and it looked like retarded, but uh, you know, it's still, I don't know. I just don't. Know. 
why do we have to keep perpetuating the Nicolas Cage thing, you know? Like, he, like I just don't get it. I mean, I get it, but it's just, like, so tired now. He drinks so many sodas in the course of this one night. Ugh. I was really worried about him, because <laughs> at first I thought it was beer, and I was like, oh, that's fine. He's cool. <laughs> but soda, like, all that caffeine for this, like, 65-year-old, that's not, this is not good. He's not 65. I don't, know how old <laughs> I don't think he's 60 yet. I think he's in his like late 50s. Mm. 65-year-old. He feels 60. He's been around a long time. Mm. Well, that's uh that's too bad. Kevin. Um so I'll I'll do a couple of the two uh Criterion challenge movies that I watched this time. Uh watched. Oh yeah, my uh my the the uh Chimes at Midnight was a Criterion Challenge movie. I should have mentioned that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I watched Clute, which I was pretty bored by. Oh um Yeah, I mean Wow. Yeah. This is like Kevin's just like trying to get us yelled at on film Twitter or something. Like, <laughs> what, what are these takes? <laughs> I, I mean it, hey at least that means they're listening. I have the Clute uh, <laughs> the Clute Criterion Blu-ray release, but I haven't seen the film since I was in high school, and I remember oh. liking it then. But I don't, I can't remember anything about it except that you see Jane Fonda naked. I remember that. Well, yeah, I mean, let's let's hear the boredom. Let's hear it. Yeah, go ahead. I I mean, like there are parts of this parts of this movie that are like extremely well done. Like there's a part where like. Donald Sutherland thinks that he saw this guy that he's looking for and uh, he's like going through this building and it's really dark and like there's a lot of like genuine suspense built up and then like he finds like just these teenagers who are like hanging out um, you know doing whatever but most of it is like Jane Fonda like you know talking to her therapist and she's a call girl but she wants to be an actress and like her agent is kind of like, you know, her agent slash pimp and, you know, Roy Scheider's in it for like five minutes. Oh, I should um, bump it up a star right there for you, Kevin. <laughs> you would think so, but, uh, <laughs> not this There's time. No, he's, not, he's not doing Kung Fu this time. eh? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't getting his hand sliced. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. And then, like, so, like, the the premise of the movie is Donald Sutherland is looking for uh, this dude who, like, left his wife, disappeared. Um, and, like, he's trying to get Jane Fonda's help because he's pretty sure that she was, like, one of the last people who saw him before he, like, actually disappeared. But, uh, you know, the movie kind of meanders around that and, like... Sometimes it's a little bit about that, but it's more about Jane Fonda and her personal stuff. And, you know, it, it, it gets into this little little bit of a love story between Sutherland and Jane Fonda. And then, like, the, the, the reveal of the mystery... The reveal of the mystery comes in, like, the last, like, five minutes of the movie. And there's, there's really not enough that you're given within the rest of the movie to justify like oh this is everything that happened and yeah it was really kind of a letdown for me so um it's too bad yeah i i just i just wasn't into it 
two letdowns in a row. Yeah, you know, I haven't yeah. seen this movie in I haven't seen this movie in so long, and I just have to assume and hope that you're just wrong, and you're you drank some sort of insane juice this morning, and that we can't <laughs> take anything you say seriously. I mean, no, you I, know. I, I, I don't I don't remember loving this movie anyway. I remember really I mean, liking Jane Fonda, right? Um, but then on my second criterion watch, uh, things improved quite a bit cause I watched, uh, my romance selection, which was happy together by Wong Kar Wai. And <laughs> yeah, I did not, I genuinely was surprised when I started hearing I have been in you by Frank Zappa. I was like, Hmm, this is an interesting choice. <laughs> Very romantic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the movie a lot. Um, um, yeah. And this, this is something I think we'll talk a little bit about when, um, eventually we get around to talking about Stonewall, but like, like, you know, there, there are not a lot of like great, um, representations of queer people in movies and i think this is this is probably one of the better ones if i had to venture a guess um spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the movie uh they don't end up together at the end of the movie but it's not but it's not in um you know it's not because of homophobia it's just because you know lots of times people just don't end up together at the end of romance movies and same in real life. So the um, idea of of someone ending up just like happy and content and fulfilled at the end of a Wong Kar Wai movie is absurd. Like indeed. There can be no more romantic longing if they're together. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't that's make right. Any sense. Yeah. There has to be longing. <laughs> right. Right. It's what he does. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh I uh so I went straight from Chimes at midnight, not straight, because I watched uh, Friends of Eddie Coyle, New Rose Hotel, and Evil Dead 2 in between. But I watched uh, <laughs> Henry V for the first time, which is Brenna's uh, directorial debut. Might be his film acting debut as well, from 1989. Uh, I'm a big fan of his Hamlet, obviously. I watch it a lot for school, but I also enjoy it. And... Um, I liked Henry V even more than Hamlet. Uh, I think that it doesn't have as much of his sort of... He, he I, I could nitpick things that he does, choices that he makes in Hamlet that are not correct, in my opinion. And even, like, line deliveries, where I, I've read the place so much now that I'm like, that's not the way that line's supposed to be delivered. You know, like that's not you're not getting the inflection right because you're changing the meaning by changing the inflection. I don't know. But I mean, that's neither here nor there. It's still a great film. But Henry V is I I thought was very, very good, Um, just as masterfully directed. And I would say even better acted than uh, than Hamlet is. Uh, And Paul Schofield is amazing and I love Paul Schofield. Anytime I see he's him in anything, best. he's just so good, uh, just effortlessly good. And but the real standout for me is um, I'm trying to see his name, Brian Blessed. No, not Brian Blessed. I do. I mean, I like, I like him. I like him. But um, he's in Hamlet also. He plays uh, 
He plays King Hamlet, the father. Mm. But uh, no, it's the villain of the film who's played by, wait for it, Michael Williams. No, not Michael Williams. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought it was Michael Williams. I can't find his name now. Who's this guy? Anyways, it's the actor who plays... I don't want to like spend all day on this. It's the actor who plays... Um, it's Michael Maloney. It's the actor who plays Laertes in Hamlet, and he's the villain in this film, or one of the villains in this film. Uh, he plays uh, Louis the, Dau- the Dauphin of, fr- of France, and he's just delightfully evil and uh, smarmy, and I really enjoyed his performance. And I did like Brian Blessed, and I and I loved Brenna in it, too. I, I think his uh, the St. Crispin's Day speech was incredible, very mm. affecting, and uh, gave me chills. The thing that I don't like about this movie, which, makes, which robs it from its five-star rating, is uh, Derek Jacobi in it. And I like Ooh, Derek Jacobi, no. but I hate the way that he's being used in this. He, they, they, he's, he's the narrator of the film, or the chorus of the film, mm. but he's in the present day narrating the film, from outside the film, as if the film is a film. Like, he's walking around <laughs> on the set at the beginning, and it's just like, uh. like, I'm not into it. I don't like that. And I get it. I understand what Branagh's, like, getting at there, like, about, you know, like, just the, the whole meta aspect of Shakespeare in general, but... I just am not a fan of that at all. I hate mm. it. If Derek Jacoby had been like in Middle Ages clothing, walking around doing the chorus, I would have been thrilled. I did five stars, no problem. Mm. But um, are you the? Sorry, yeah. No, go ahead. No, no, no. You, you go. My oh, <laughs> oh. I was gonna say that the um the the battle sequence in this is uh definitely lifting from Wells's uh, Chimes at Midnight, and uh, you know. For the better, I think. I mean, it's just uh, very, just like the letterbox profile says, a gritty adaptation of the play. I mean, it's very dirty and everybody's gross, but uh, it really, it really works. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to own this shit on Blu-ray if it's on Blu-ray. I'm not even sure if it is, to be honest. Has to be. Well, I, I know be. that uh, Hamlet wasn't for a long time. It is mm. now, but it's like crazy expensive because it's a. Um, it's a digi book, digi pack, or whatever, like the book and everything, like like the sport, mm. like this uh, sorcerer release. Oh right, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, loved it. Are that's, you that's are you going to go through all of his Shakespeare movies? I, I know most of the rest of them are comedy They're, adaptations, but right, I I am yeah, I'm I'm curious to watch uh, some of his other ones. Less curious about some others but there's one that i actually the one that i'm most interested in watching right now is the one that's about the sort of oh it's uh in the bleak midwinter uh it's about out of work actor joe volunteers to help try to save his sister's local church for the community by putting on a christmas production of hamlet so i don't know that looks fun to me it's from 1995 and it's got a lot Mm. of his stable of actors in it like a lot of the people who were in hamlet the next year, the year after this, so I'm interested in watching that one. Uh, I like. I'm not a Brenna like you know. I'm. Uh, he's not great uh, you sure? as a as a filmmaker. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. You, you're loving his stuff. I know you didn't I love. Lo- I, Frankenstein, I love his. But... I love his two Shakespeare adaptations. I hate Frankenstein. I'm not mm. even going to talk about it. It's just an absolute failure. I, I was. Lukewarm on Dead to, Again. I think you have to revisit it. I think you have to revisit it now. <laughs> revisit Frankenstein? No, <laughs> dead just, Again. Dead 
dead oh, again. Dead again. Oh. Um, and I'm not, you know, I mean, there's his Hollywood shit like Shadow Recruit and Thor and stuff like that. I think have to revisit the first Thor. I've never seen the first Thor, so it would be a oh, visit great. for me. But I, And I actually, I believe that, uh, you know, I don't know if it's because of Branagh, but I, of all of the crummy, like, Disney movies remade as as live action things, yeah, I think Cinderella is, like, by far the best. Oh wow, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember this coming out. I, I did I didn't realize at the time it was Branagh doing it. Um, I mean, you know, I might check something like that out. I haven't seen Dumbo. It's a Disney mm. movie, right? This is a Disney yeah, movie. It's Disney. Mm. Is this the f- first of the no, live jun- action Disney? Jungle Book? Came before this. I'm, yeah. I thought. I thought. Maybe I, I just this. this doesn't this doesn't strike me as like I don't remember you don't hear about this one in conversations about uh, the the live action remakes of mm. the animated films because everyone thought it was uh, fine yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah and this shit like I mean yeah I just his his Hollywood stuff like his first five here on on Letterbox are just complete like I'm not interested I mean Cinderella is one of those but I mean I might watch it at some point since mm. you say it's the best of those. But, um, I remember liking Much Ado About Nothing. Um, yeah, I'll probably check that out at some point. Mm. Also, uh, he did a Twelfth Night adaptation. Yeah, also, must have that's the um, that's the film. It's a filmed. It's a fancy filmed play, but it's a film. Oh, play. I see. Okay, sort of like he also did Macbeth live at the National Theater in 2013. So mm. I'd be interested to see that. Macbeth Same. is my favorite Shakespeare. Mm. And I don't, and I'm also not like a hundred percent on his acting. Like, I don't think he's a great actor necessarily, but I do enjoy his performances in those two Shakespeare plays, even mm. though the one in Hamlet, like I say, I could nitpick it, but, um, I'm not an actor, so I definitely could not memorize all of Hamlet's lines and deliver them with emotion like he does. So <laughs> it's impressive regardless. Mm. Anyway, let's move it right along. JR. Yeah. Um, I get, yeah, my my criterion movie. And I only did one, and I so I am officially behind. I've only done six. I did my uh, my Made in Spain movie. I watched uh, Placido, and uh, I highly Placido. Recommend... Pla- sure. Do you speak? You speak that's Spanish? His, that's kidding. his name, right? <laughs> it's the guy's name, Domingo. Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. Is it about Placido Domingo? No. Oh, never mind then. I don't know what Placido, what Placido is. Never mind. Forget I said it. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> but it, it is probably Placido. But anyway, uh, this is a it's a very short movie. It is directed by Louis Garcia Berlanga, who made The Executioner, which I know uh, is quite famous. Um, this is a sort of darkly comedic almost absurdist uh set up where the rich women in this town uh around every christmas set up this just uh, event where like a, a rich person invites a homeless or a poor person into their home and like feeds them uh and it is a setup that sounds like it should be like a, a bunuel movie um, sounds like vera diana yeah it's not not quite that absurd, but maybe like a little angrier. This is like a a very acidic, um, you know, class warfare. Not really warfare. 
it's no warfare, but um, it is a very class conscious movie. Uh, it is its message is pretty hard hitting. I really liked it. I I did not laugh. I did not find it funny after the first five minutes, but um, I thought it was a pretty powerful story. And uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to like avoid the Bunuel comparisons, but when you are watching it, it does not feel like Bunuel. It's just set up, kind of like Bunuel. But yeah, highly. If you hmm. have not picked a Made in Spain one yet, I highly recommend this one. Chimes at Midnight was my Made in Spain one. Oh no shit! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but that's uh, that's too bad. I'll, well, I'll definitely you could do. You could do out, Made though. in the '60s. Mm. Well, I mean, my list is made, bud. I'm not deviating. I'm done. Oh. You guys. <laughs> Do you guys have a no a no edit policy? Have you edited? Yeah, before I started, I cha- you know, I put in mm. uh like a Godard movie I had seen before. Yeah. And then I switched it to a Godard movie I had not seen. Well, that's fine. I, all my films mm. are first time watches already, okay. so I'm not I don't think I'm going to deviate at all. The only way I would deviate is if like I got to the point where I had to watch, you know, like the Bruce Lee film or something and it was like unavailable or difficult to get a hold of or something for some reason or you know something like that but mm. yeah I don't know my uh, my next one is a uh, the Wes Anderson top 10 one and I've seen all those but maybe I, I think that's why I didn't watch my my seventh movie I was like I don't want to watch the thing I've already seen even though I really like the thing I've already seen mm. my next one is uh, Dreyer's uh, Joan of Arc film that's cool. I'm excited to watch that. I haven't. I've had the DVD for like 12 years now, so I should probably get get into it. <laughs> it's like a 75 minute movie I never watched. <laughs> anyway, Kevin. So I went back and rewatched all of uh, Soderbergh's Oceans movies, and I really enjoyed them. They're a lot of fun. Um, the uh the, the third one isn't quite as good because you know it's kind of the same old stuff um and not quite as good gags but it's still just as well made as the first two and they're they're so entertaining and Soderbergh like does a great job like he's he's just you know like he's I think he's probably the best at making like a really good, you know, well-made movie that's still, like, fun, you know, something that, like, anybody can get into. But if you want to appreciate more of the technical aspects, you can. Um, yeah, and even though he... He's like, art, he's like Art House Spielberg. Yeah, definitely. Like, just technically proficient, entertaining mm. pictures. But except, like, more like Spielberg, you know prior to maybe like 20 2008 or something like he you know he's mm, really yeah spielberg hasn't made an entertaining movie in a long time i don't think yeah but. i think a lot of people would probably agree um <laughs> but uh oh that speaking of spielberg that was something i forgot to mention last time um a while back uh john turned me on to the vendors documentary room 666 where, you know, it's like a bunch of uh, directors sitting in a room talking about uh, the state of cinema in the early 80s. And it was really interesting to go back and watch that um, now, since, like, mm. you know, the the cinema, like the brick-and-mortar cinema is basically dead. Um, and, you know, they're, you know, 
trying to keep it on life support as much as they possibly can, but let it die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was just, it was really interesting to see all of those, all of those perspectives and like, uh, and it's, it's funny too. Cause like, like listening to Spielberg talk, it's like, he understand, understands so much about, you know, the way the movie business was going at the time. Cause like at the time of the movie, like he had just made E.T., so uh, he was ha- he was about to have like another like big blow up, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I remember he, like he t- he's he's the director of the film of in that film that talks the most about the economy and the money behind movies mm, and the money yeah. that you make from movies and being surprise, able to sustain surprise. because of budget and things like yeah exactly yeah, like yeah, everybody yeah. else is talking about these high minded philosophical complex uh, concepts and stuff about. You know the art of cinema, and, and Spielberg's concerned about the money. <laughs> but well, I, I like that he—I like that he's in there, though. It's an interesting like juxtaposition of perspective, for sure. Because yeah, like I think you need that uh, as much as much as we as much as we would like to think that you know our favorite filmmakers could just get carte blanche blank checks to make all the movies that they want to. Um, you know, it's, it's just not not the way it works. But um. But <laughs> I still think that like uh, Herzog had like probably the best, uh, you know, you know what's going to happen if cinema dies? Like, so what if cinema dies? I'll go find something other, something else to do, something right. else that interests me. He's amazing. Fuck off. <laughs> I, I like when he I like when he sits down and reads the paper and he goes, "A question like this to answer a question like this, I've got to mm. take my shoes off." <laughs> right. Can't answer a question like this with shoes. <laughs> his shoes and socks off. He's just the guy is great, dude. How do you? He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I watched. Uh, so because we reviewed the boys from, or we're reviewing the boys from Brazil this week, which is a Schaffner film that I'd not seen. I decided to rewatch Planet of the Apes, which I've been meaning to rewatch for a long time. Uh, it's a Schaffner film, the first Schaffner film I saw, and was a staple in my household as a child a uh, favorite film of mine i have no idea how i got turned on to it i'm assuming my dad told me about it but i really don't recall i remember having the vhs uh of it and of the some of the other ones some of the sequels but um and then i bought the dvd collection and watched all of them on dvd and then i bought the blu-ray collection and and just now have watched the blu-rays for the first time of the first four i didn't watch battle for the planet of the apes because i have no interest in revisiting that one unfortunately i might check it out at some point but (laughs) i remember hating it um so i watched the first four planet of the apes the original i mean (laughs) i don't know how you guys feel about this i didn't don't recall what your ratings were but for me planet of the apes see for jr it's a three and a half and kevin hasn't rated it but for Mm. me it's a five-star film it's absolutely astounding to watch in my opinion i mean just and and not for the reasons that i think a lot of people would say this is a classic if they said it was a classic yeah the statue Uh, of liberty that's i feel that's all people care about yeah, that's true, mm. right? The twist ending is sort of the big, the big thing, or, or you might say, like the 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 proficiency of the makeup for the time is very impressive, and I agree with that. And I do, I like the twist. 
but I also really like Taylor as a character and Heston's performance as Taylor. Um, I think that the idea of this astronaut who is sort of anti-humanity, uh, like doesn't like his fellow human beings and then is forced into a situation where he has to defend humanity is a really, really brilliant idea. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, which this movie doesn't really require, you know, it's on its surface. It's just like a B sci-fi movie from the late sixties, but giving it that sort of, uh, depth with Taylor's character, I think makes it a real, um, much more philosophically complicated kind of piece. And, I think, I mean, not just Heston, I think all the acting is good. I think, uh, I love, I've always loved Roddy McDowell as Cornelius, even though he doesn't really do much in this movie, but he, he does a lot more in the sequels. And Kim Hunter, of course, Oscar winner Kim Hunter <laughs> as, uh, as Zira. And of course, Maurice Evans as, uh, Dr. Zayas is terrific, uh, and sort of, um, wonderfully. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. He, I mean, he's the villain of the film, but he's not like a like he doesn't want. He's not like a like a violent villain. He's just like you know, he's almost like an authoritarian, governmental sort of thing. You know, like wants to keep everybody suppressed, all the information suppressed. Mm. I think but, he's uh, yeah. he's probably an antagonist, but not necessarily a villain. Sure, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, well, he does want to he does want to uh, essentially kill. Taylor, but he's not going to do it himself, is what I was talking about. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the vil- the the apes are the villains, and he's sort of the antagonist. I agree, but um, yeah, I just think it's a great, it's very well made. Um, it's not like you would think a movie like a movie like this has every opportunity in the world to be cheesy and corny as fuck, and it's just not, or it doesn't come off that way to me at all. And a lot of it, I can't look at it objectively. A lot of it, it might be a nostalgia playing in. Like, I'm, you know, if I showed this to, you know, my students that I teach now who are 17, 18 years old in 2021, they would probably find it cheesy and hokey. But I don't know. It doesn't come across that way to me at all. Mm. Uh, and possibly just because I've seen it, you know, a hundred times and since I was a child. But I really, really like it. And the sequels are not great they're different differing shades of not great the second one is absolutely atrocious although i do appreciate the way it ends it ends with the uh the apocalypse essentially like they blow up the world with a doomsday device so everybody dies at the end of it including the apes and taylor so i appreciate that but otherwise it's a pretty boring slog of a movie uh escape from the planet of the apes which is the third one is sort of the reversal of the first idea which is a little cheap but also kind of interesting the apes go to the present day or the 1971 present day of uh the united states and are chased around and they're being suppressed by our government then and then the best of the sequels i think is conquest which uh, came out in 1972 and is sort of a a prequel it's about the um how the apes came to power and it is a little cheesy at points but it's also quite moving and stirring at the end uh the actor Roddy mcdowell plays cornelius's son in this caesar who has a, a very stirring speech about 
how the humans are going to be treated now that the apes are in charge and and then they beat the villain to death with the butts of their rifles this is this is in the director's cut of course Mm. uh in in the theatrical version they let him go and he talks about how they're going to be peaceful and stuff but in the in their director's cut uh it's all about just like fuck this shit Mm. you gotta die everybody's gotta die Which is so so great, so refreshing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so those are the Planet of the Apes movies. The first Planet of the Apes is amazing. Check it out if you haven't mm. watched it. I just uh, I just removed my rating because I honestly don't remember the last time I saw this, and it was definitely a very long time ago. But mm. uh, I don't remember a lot of it. I am fascinated that they they like shout out four sequels in four years. Yeah, it's insane, and mm. a TV show, and a cartoon. Oh my gosh. And then and then it just died like it was just unceremonious, just dead in the water. And this the 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 budgets go down every movie until the last one is embarrassing. The last one should be the biggest one because it's battle for the planet of the apes. It's the humans versus the apes in this final battle for who's going to control. And it's like there's literally like a hundred extras in it. I mean, it's just it's embarrassing. <laughs> Jeez, everybody's wearing these goofy rubber masks. It's it's horrible, dude. Was it made but, by uh, American International? Oh, I have. I think it was no. They're all. I think they're all made by uh, what? I, Fox. I don't know who made who made Planet of the Apes. I don't mm. even. I guess it's. I think it's Fox. But um, but it just died in the water until uh, Tim Burton came along and then you know tried to re- resurrect it, but then also killed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they, for some reason, they were like, you know what? Let's try one more time. And then of course the the huge success of the the recent mm. trilogy. So. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. It's. I've, I only saw the first of those, I think, but I think they made a lot of money. I wonder why they have not like continued on to a fourth movie. I was surprised that they kept it as a trilogy. They were talking about that when they were making and they're like the director was saying it's a trilogy. We're not going to go further with it. Like this is it. This is the resolution of Caesar's story. Mm. And um it does resolve at the in the last one in a very neat and tidy way. But I remember thinking at the time, like, there's no way they're going to stop. This movie's like a fucking money machine for them, you know? But they right. did. They stopped. I don't you know. I, I, I respect it. Even though I'm mm. not a big fan of those movies, I hated the first one. And I think they get progressively better. But the last one, I think I gave it three and a half to. So uh. I don't love them. I've been meaning to rewatch the original ever since I found out that Rod Serling co-wrote the uh, screenplay. So. Yeah. He's uh yeah he he I think uh, one of the drafts I think I don't think he was the final oh. he wasn't the final uh but he there was there were lots of writers on it but apparently uh his it was his idea to do the the twist with the Statue of Liberty so mm, which yeah. you could totally see you know it's like a Twilight oh, Zone ending absolutely so. yeah but also like you know like soliloquies on humanity and stuff like oh, that right. that's yeah, that's, yeah. Ve- that's very very surling. That's how the film starts. It's really great. He's just like in a spaceship. Everybody else is like uh, in hypersleep or whatever. And he's mm-hmm. just talking about like how he's glad to not be on Earth anymore and how everybody's dead who he's ever known or loved. <laughs> it's just like yeah. just super, you know, nihilistic. I really, mm. I, I dig it a lot. So moving right along, JR. Yeah, I was um, going to talk about the uh, the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Which uh, you know has been sold as, I guess, like a horror with a little bit of comedy. I think it's definitely more like thriller with a couple of trappings of horror. And um, 
I don't know if you guys have heard of this this auteur, you know, writer, director, star, Jim Cummings. Yeah. Uh, he's from New Orleans, apparently. Oh, is he? I didn't know uh, that. Mm. Yeah. I didn't either. I was really into it, and I was really into him. Um, you know, he plays the, I guess, like, sheriff's deputy in this like, small, like, ski resort town in Utah where uh, these murders are happening. Uh Bodies are getting mutilated. People are starting to think it's like a, a werewolf or just like a giant animal doing this. Um, and Jim Cummings is this, yeah, this this cop who is just unraveling. He has a really just difficult personality already. Um, and the stress of this is just turning him into an asshole, a piece of shit. Uh, his father, the sheriff... Uh, in one, of, I think it's one of Robert Forster's last roles. It's his last role. Okay, mm. he's like, he's like trying to keep himself. To, he's clearly very sick, possibly dying. He's trying to keep himself together and help solve this case. He's trying to keep his son from like dipping back into alcoholism because of stress, and uh, it uh, all that stuff works, and that. It is very uncomfortably funny, like the situations that Jim Cummings gets himself into, uh, and the way that he reacts to things. I was I was laughing out loud uh, to this man, basically breaking down and ruining his life, which I thought was a <laughs> a fascinating reaction that he he got out of me. But um, you know, I guess like the the murder stuff is is fine, and the way that wraps up is a little disappointing, but. Um, the character stuff with with him and also with uh ricky lindholm who is another deputy who is way better at her job uh, it's just uh it's all it's just great great stuff and I, i'm gonna go watch this guy's previous movie and i'm excited for for what jim cummings does next i mean I'm you in. haven't you hadn't seen thunder road no it seems like something i had you heard of seen. it oh really i remember I, hearing all about it a lot um, i will i will definitely be watching it yeah, I'm going to have to check out both of them as well. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of good things about uh, Snow Hollow. So. Oh, and also Wolf of Snow Hollow and its tiny, you know, tiny ski town in the winter. It looks looks really good. Lots of great snow. Lots of great, uh, you know, moon and stars on snow lighting. It's great. Nice. you got to love that moon and stars on snow lighting. I <laughs> yes, love it. it. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> you you glitched out there for a second. Uh, so, I finally got around to watching Judas and the Black Messiah, and it's fucking great. It is so damn good, and like, I don't have too much to add to what John said last time. I'm you know like, like all all the acting is is great. Um, it's you know parts of it are really you know hard to watch like especially the ending um cuz you know it's just so you know it's like infuriating you, yeah and just horrible and then like uh the little the little postscript um after after the last scene that was you know that was really really depressing um the the one th- the one thing i will add though like um 
like I it it took me a second to recognize him, but uh, Lil Rel Howie, how ugh, I'm not pronouncing that right. Lil Rel, he's yeah. in it for like you know all of like three minutes, and he is fucking perfect. Like he's uh he he plays this um like other like uh undercover FBI guy, and he but he's just like so like casual and like carefree and while like Lakeith Stanfield is just like literally coming apart at the seams and <laughs> it was so good like is he the is he the one who is uh later gives, killed or whatever he gives Lakeith the the drug oh oh mm, oh yeah, yeah oh yeah. yeah okay and the bar okay never okay yeah okay I remember him now yeah um yeah, he is good yeah I remember that that was yeah. a good scene. That was a weird scene, man. Was, it uh, it really was cuz like was, uh, out of nowhere like I had no idea what was going on and then all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, and like god, it was good. Awesome. Yeah, man. and I I don't, you know, I I also watched it uh and I also don't have much to add. Um I thought the only thing like working against the movie is just it's it's split focus. I wish uh it had I actually honestly just wish it had focused more on on Fred. Um, mm. He just seems more interesting, uh, and I, you know, Dan Kalua is just so fucking good. I just, I, I wish it had done more of a focus on him instead of kind of splitting between him and uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character. But you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just it's what That's I want. Fair. It's not necessarily something that was wrong. Well, I don't know that they really had. That was the thing, like, uh, like. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are like ten years older than either of the characters they played at the time, and right. like yeah, like Fred Hampton, you know, he was killed when I think he was like twenty two, twenty three, and like Nin- nineteen, nineteen. Yeah, it said nineteen at the end of the movie. Jeez. Yeah. So like, wow. like, yeah, like that, that's been a. Like they are young. Like I, pr- I'm pretty sure mm. Kalua and Stanfield are are both thirty or younger. Yeah, like late t- late twenties, early thirties. But like, yeah. But yeah, like th- that's been that's been oh, a no, common you were thing. Right. Twenty one. Like, I don't know why I thought nineteen. Twenty one. He was twenty one. I, I, I think still Bill, crazy Bill O'Neill young, was probably nineteen. Um, yeah. So. But yeah, like it, it's it's been like a lot of people are have been saying like, oh, we wanted more about Fred Hampton, and it's like. Well, there's not much more. You're right. I mean, I, I guess you could go long. like really in depth onto onto him like as like a teenager and stuff. But like, even even still, like that's that's a really short movie. Yeah. yeah. Um. You're right. Yeah, man. It's uh. So in '69, he would have been just barely 20. Mm. Uh, William O'Neill, Bill O'Neill, right. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's just uh, I thought it was really a great way to start the year for mm. uh, for for films. I mean, you know, just usually you don't have something quite as good come out so early no. in the year. So I mean, right. to get to get Judas and the Black Messiah and Willy's Wonderland in the same week was <laughs> pretty <laughs> a crazy. real a real blessing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, are we gonna talk Foxcatcher? Because I feel like it's the elephant in the room here. Oh damn! I forgot to watch that. Um, <laughs> I was I was gonna let you bring it up if you wanted to. 
Okay. Uh, I'm. I only want to bring it up because I enjoy it. Uh, it went down for me this time, but I remember when I first saw it, giving it a five and feeling like that feels a little weird to give it a five. I just remember thinking <laughs> like, I remember thinking at the time, I was like, "There's nothing wrong with this movie," in my opinion. Like, I don't know what's wrong with it, so I can't give it less than a five it's, because it's, it's essentially it's essentially perfect. I didn't find it boring. Is that what is that your issue with it? It's it's one issue with it. <laughs> give me some other ones because I'm I, I just don't get it. I, I <laughs> think a Parks and Rec guy, not an Office is... guy. <laughs> Steve Carell's performance is just distracting. Uh, I don't. I just don't see why they wanted to to do that. Um, I think Bennett Miller is like trying to put this like just sense of importance on on his character, like the, connecting him to America and the American military machine is just a really weird choice and you know you could argue that it's just like oh because we need to show like that how like powerful and rich this guy is and i I don't think you need to tie up this idea of america in there to do that um and just the way like it devolves in the end so quickly to me in a way that almost just felt silly hmm well there is a problem i agree with that uh, that there's a there's a, a a sort of pacing issue at the end, and it's it's due to how the story happens in reality, because in reality there's like an eight year gap between the events of the first you know hour yeah. and a half of the movie and the last thirty minutes. So, so I mean, and the whole like I I looked up some of the story, and he's taking so many liberties with the story anyway. I don't see why. I, he could have paced this out better if he's making sure. up a bunch of crap. That's fair. In the first place. Mm. That's fair. I, I agree. I agree that that's a problem and that I didn't notice the first time I watched it. But I'll also say that, like, the whole, like, him ordering the tank and uh, talking about how we need to make America great and how, you know, uh, this is what we're doing here and, and, and sort of uh, trying to graft on this importance to their kind of, you know, I mean, pretty genuinely silly <laughs> a thing that they're trying to accomplish, which is, you know, getting wrestling medals at the Olympics and stuff. Um, is I, I always, I look at it as like, I mean, it's just like, it's a character study. It's three character studies. It's about Steve Carell's character. It's about Channing Tatum's character. It's about uh, Mark Ruffalo's character. And that the one that's the most fleshed out is Steve Carell's character. Or it's most, not most fleshed out, it's just most obvious that, like, what his issue is, right? Like, he's been neglected by his mother he's trying to win her respect like that scene when she comes in and watches as he's trying to coach them like but that also plays comedically and i th- i don't know that it's not supposed to play comedically like it's cringy and funny to me I think, that scene I think and is. i think Carell is the perfect sort of guy to do that but at the same time it's weird because you're used to seeing him cringy in like a very comedic setting and this is more like cringy in a dramatic setting so it's just weird that they chose him to do this i'm sure surprised he was into it i i think i don't think he was necessarily the wrong choice i think make giving him the nose and the voice is just something that was i think he could have done this job really well just kind of not being himself but like yeah sure not having a prosthetic i i'm always against uh, adding 
prostheses to people to make them look more like real life people. I hate that idea. It's the worst thing in most movies, uh, especially contact lenses. It's so distracting. Like like when they give uh, they they gave Joseph Gordon Levitt contact lenses to make his eye color the same as Bruce Willis's and Looper. It's just like mm. now all I can do is stare at his weird like android like eyes. You know, <laughs> it's like it doesn't look natural. It just looks bizarre. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, they're the same person, so it's a little bit harder to work around there. But it's just, I would rather they would have changed Bruce Willis's eye color. But, yeah, I agree. You know, giving him this big sort of uh, goofy nose and receding his hairline. and I mean, it's the same thing with um, with Mark Ruffalo's character, you know, that you can see the top of his hairline is shaved away. I mean, you can see the stubble, right. you know, mm. which is always embarrassing. Cause I don't understand why they can't cover that up with makeup. Mm. But, um and i don't and i and i i get it from an acting perspective like i think that they they maybe feel like more in the character if they're doing that but i like but i think ruffalo's performance his whole like hulking like every movie makes like even when he's just like walking around he's like in this wrestling pose like he's so into wrestling you know and i i really i like that i thought that was an interesting idea i thought it was a really easy quick sort of shortcut to show you know, just how dedicated he is or how, how all-encompassing it is to his life. And I and, really... Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. I, just, I, I did really like the very beginning of the movie um, that kind of very quietly follows Tatum through, you know, that the speech at the school where he was, yeah. you know, clearly the second choice to, to, right. <laughs> to deliver that. And then to practicing um, at the gym and that first kind of... Um, scrimmage practice whatever with his mm. brother where yeah. they you know are slapping the shit out of each other i um, liked all that a lot that was too. all really cool and it in general the like the wrestling work seemed cool oh yeah it's great i mean i love it this is like the the sort of um, um procedural element of like how you know how they do these different moves and stuff like that and they're using that that dummy that they're using to to like fly all around like they grab it and they throw it all around and stuff mm. and also i really love the scene when um he had to lose like twelve pounds in like half an hour or whatever. Oh yeah, he got on the treadmill. I loved all that st- that shit with like the super close up of his of his face as he's on the treadmill. He's just like moving back and forth. I don't know. Something about that's very it just worked really well for me. So, and and I will. I was mad at you know mad at prosthetics, but uh, I th- I think it it was good that they did do like the cauliflower ears. Yeah, mm. it would have been a mistake to not include those. Yeah, I also like. Channing Tatum's underbite that they give him make him look more ape-like almost. I don't know if you noticed that. There's like a shot where he's sitting on the edge of a bed, just staring at the wall, and like his his bottom lip is so far out. They obviously gave him some kind of like thing to bite on or something. I don't know, but I enjoy it still. It's not my favorite. Uh, I don't think it's my favorite Bennett Miller film. I mean, it's, I really like the cruise, be. and no, I like the cruise, and I like. Um, I I like Capote. I haven't seen no. Capote in a long time either, though. So no, it's got like, Moneyball. I, I think Moneyball <laughs> is probably the best. But I'm saying I haven't seen. I, it's been such a long time since I've seen Capote. I mean, I like I like Moneyball a lot too. I just I need to rewatch everything. Have mm. you haven't even have you seen the cruise? Yeah, recently, Mubi oh, Mubi okay. had it uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, uh, and I good. I did like the cruise, and yeah. you know. I think it's the only Bennett Miller movie that features a distracting accent that I think works because it's a real person and it's a documentary. Yeah, Tim Levitch is amazing. So, yeah, rewatch Waking Life. <laughs> he's in that. I, have you I, seen? Um, have I you don't seen? That. Oh, really? He's got a great scene. He's on top of a roof. Uh, 
talking about something or other. Have you seen uh, the Linklater short film uh, Live from Shiva's Dance Floor? That does not sound familiar. It's uh, is it on like a DVD edition or um, it is? I have yeah, no, it's not on Criterion. It's on, but it's on DVD. I have the DVD, uh, and uh, it's just that guy Timothy Speedlovich uh, walking around, sort of in the aftermath of nine eleven, and just talking about New York City and how things have changed and stuff. And it's it's pretty good. Hmm. So it's worth it's worth a poke if you're a Lovich fan, you know. And also that guy is also has his own show on Hulu. That's produced and directed somewhat, wow. I think. It might, it might I just, be directed by Link later, but it's definitely produced by him. I just assumed he was, like, dead. <laughs> no, dead? <laughs> no. No. That's great. Not right. I mean, this is great news. <laughs> it's great news. He's not dead. He's got his show on Hulu. <laughs> All right. I got one. So, JR, you want to do another one? Sure. Um, you know, the rest of my movies are uh, homework movies given to myself. Um, and I did want to mention uh, SLC Punk, which we had, you know, an off mm. off air conversation about uh, because of our um, or your friends' <coughs> podcast, Film Shake. Go listen to them; they're they do '90s movies. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, SLC Punk is something that I have a deep rooted nostalgia for you know i probably saw that for the first time when i was 14 or 15 when i was very much into punk music i never my friends and i never called ourselves punks because we always thought that was fucking weird uh we listened to punk music um which is a big difference but anyway um so i've seen slc punk probably almost a hundred times just because that's the kind of movie that we had on repeat all the time we probably watched it once a weekend for a few years um knowing like not thinking that it's some amazing movie just enjoying it enjoying the music whatever it's Um, just helping you to perpetuate the idea that you like punk music you're like i i like punk music so i have to like this movie so i have to watch it over and over again to to force myself to like punk music right and uh (laughs) and it worked right because i still like punk music i don't still like this movie um (laughs) don't still like this movie it's you know like when you're 15 you don't really notice that uh the main character spending like 40 percent of the fucking movie just talking to the camera delivering monologues is is like a super weird choice (laughs) it means that we don't get a ton of story we don't get a ton of you know uh character development because all we're getting is this one character's thoughts and it's you know occasionally those are are fascinatingly written um but the character's delivering a bunch of bullshit that that character realizes at the end of the movie is bullshit but the way that it is shot the way that it's edited together um it doesn't seem like there's any self-awareness from anybody at any point it's it's almost like the writer of this movie like he, he just wrote a nostalgia piece for himself right he wanted to include all of the thoughts that he had when he was a punk he wanted to include a bunch of scenarios that he remembered uh from being a punk in in a town like salt lake city maybe who knows maybe he actually was from salt lake city um and a lot of those situations are dressed up with some sort of like absurdity like i doubt that he knew a guy like devin sawa who accidentally took a hundred tabs of acid at once and went insane but he might have known had some sort of 
more realistic version of that happen. I don't know. Um, and it sounds like it feels like the writer of this had uh, some issues with the idea that he maybe sold out eventually and went to college. I don't know. Um, but the like the sequence of events they don't really make sense. There's no development. Just all of a sudden, Matthew Lillard is like, "I'm gonna sell out and be a lawyer because my friend died in a bit of narrative irony and a cute girl at a college party told me that my fashion sucks." Um, and that's it. It's it's really dumb. The music is really cool. Are you going to watch the sequel? I have a hard time convincing myself I need to do that. It's only 75 Ooh. minutes and it has Devin Sala in it. And so. I god, I do I just I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> no, I'm just and uh Machine Gun Kelly is also in it. Apparently. That's That's a really bad thing. <laughs> I saw I saw his Saturday Night Live music performance. Um, where he's just like making the worst version of Blink-182 music now. Yeah. Which is bizarre. Like he was already making bad hip hop. Uh, but this, this pivot, this pivot to him, like playing two power chords on a guitar, um, (laughs) and yelling in like a Tom DeLonge kind of like California nasal whine is just, this is not good. He's probably Mm. been influenced by James Marandino and being in, Punk's Dead SLC Punk 2, you know, and he's like trying to make his version of punk music. You're probably right, and that's and that's a shame. Um, Machine Gun Kelly, like as as a, a musical artist, I think maybe he just needs to go away. I've never seen him act. Maybe he's wonderful. I've mm. heard actually that he does a good job as Tommy Lee in the Dirt movie, but I've only heard that from people whose opinions I do not respect at all. So. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I guess he's like he's tall, like Tommy Lee. Is that and has a lot of tattoos? I, yeah, I guess he's kind of like this passing <laughs> like, resemblance to him, right. and they're just like he's young enough. Just put him in there. He's yeah. a name that'll get it's, the girls like, to watch. If and... we don't get someone like Machine Gun Kelly, we've got hours and hours of makeup every day. Mm. <laughs> they don't care about the actual tattoos. He's right. got tattoos. Nobody knows what tattoos Tommy Lee has. Yeah. Just, uh, just put him in there. You know they sp- they still put him in the makeup chair and put tattoos all I, over. I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, SLC Punk. We don't need to watch. I took it off my deep dive list. Good for it's you, done. Bro. I'm done with it. Mm. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Kevin? Uh, do you want to talk about Stonewall? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Stonewall. Um, so, watched Stonewall, which was the movie that we were forced to watch. Kevin and I were forced to watch because we lost... Letterboxd Roulette last week, last episode uh, to JR. So JR actually won one, which mm. is pretty impressive. No, right? Yeah. And uh, Stonewall's from 2015. It's directed by Roland Emmerich, implausibly. And uh, it's uh, sort of a his version of a small drama about a pivotal event in the LGBTQ community that happened in, is it 69, Kevin? Yeah. That this riot happened. There was a riot on Christopher Street at the Stonewall, which is was a bar uh, that was a gay-friendly bar, but it was run by the Mafia. Ron Perlman's just great Oscar-level performance as a bald mafioso. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's... I mean, I, I, I'm scared to be too hyperbolic here, but it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And um, not, not that scared. 
it's completely it's just completely offensive in every way aesthetically and offensive to gay people like i don't understand how you could make like i i believe emmerich is himself gay and i don't understand how you could make something like this that's just so tone deaf and Mm. uh just brutally uh offensive and uh, cliched just this Mm. you know the whole all the stuff with the main character in wherever he's fucking from Iowa or whatever. And um, I want to say Indiana, he's blowing his friend in the car and all that stuff. It's just so like shit that you would see. I mean, that you, you've heard of a million times. It's just boring and uh, completely unengaging. Mm. And the acting in this movie is like, like sub TV level. Just not like it's It really, it really felt like a, like a TV movie, a lot of it, mm, I would yeah. say. It played like a TV movie. And except for the idea that some people are in it who you might not see in a... Well, I don't know if that's true. Like, Jonathan Reese Myers was... I, I feel like he's, like, the sort of biggest, like, celebrity who's in it. And mm. I didn't mind him in it, actually. I thought he was, like, fine in it. But uh, his character is ridiculous. And their whole that whole thing between him and... Uh, Whoever plays the main guy, I don't even know who the fuck it is. Some young kid. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It was just very, very difficult to get through. Very upsetting to look at. Mm. Uh, I love Caleb Landry Jones, and he's just, like, I wanted to crush his larynx when I was watching this. I hated his guts. Yeah, it was and, uh, so, so gross. Yeah, you're supposed to like all these people because mm. they're so, you know, against the grain of society and they're just rebels, man. But it's just it's just brutal. I can't I can't do it. Uh, this is tiring to think about. Yeah, and like like it, it was especially weird like like having like just watched like Judas and the Black Messiah and Happy Together where you know like two movies like you know one one's dealing with you know a significant uh cultural event you know biographically and you know happy together being about um a gay couple like seeing those two movies and how how things were represented and then going to this movie and seeing how just shittily everything is done and everything is handled and yeah i mean john john said it bet like it's offensive like hmm. like i i don't um yeah this this is just trash and you know the i think this the sooner that this movie is forgotten about the better like uh the the actual events you know like hopefully hopefully Somebody, somebody can come along and give this movie, you know, the the Judas and the Black Messiah treatment, where it's actually sure. dealt with in you know, like it's a good movie, but it's also like, you know, better about explaining what went on and why it's important. Less less stereotypes. Yeah, like I'm yeah, I'm just like I don't like in know, this like movie. There's these... two kinds of gay people. Only two. Right, there, exactly. There's the straight-laced one, and then there's the, yes, bitch! Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, it's just a very sort of um, immature yeah. uh, portrayal of, of what it... Uh, <laughs> of of the, the gay world. And I mean, yeah. I, I was going to say that the only... I, 
um, th- I gave this movie zero stars, as did Kevin. Mm. I mean, um, <laughs> and I hesitated because I don't want to just keep giving that star rating, and I feel like I've given it to two or three movies recently, but it, it truly does deserve no stars. But I will say that um, the actor, this actor, uh, Johnny Beauchamp, who plays Ray in the film, mm. uh, who's like the sort of love interest of the main character, I think that if this movie were good, that that actor would be a big deal right now. I think he would have gotten mm. a lot more recognition from mm. from his performance in this, which isn't amazing, but he's trying. He's he's probably the best. In my opinion, he's doing the best job out of any of the performers. Yeah. Like, he's actually aware of who his character is, and his character is probably the least, um, uh, like you say, the two different types. He's probably the least, you know, um, flamboyant, I guess, mm-hmm. of the mo- of the flamboyant is, is uh, he, group. Is yeah. he thus slightly... Uh, more three dimensional, or is he still? Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Character. Exactly. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, he's yeah. he's he's more three dimensional, and you get scenes where, like, the scene where he goes to the uh, the grocery store where that guy is working after they've sort of parted ways, and he he asks him to like buy him cigarettes and stuff like that. Like, you know, you get sort of a more complex like desperation from him than. Uh, mm. But I don't want to say too. I don't want to you know praise him too much. It's not like you know it's great and he's great and you know the movie's an awful turd and uh mm. yeah. <laughs> everybody associated with it should be embarrassed mm. so yeah don't watch this please <laughs> i agree with kevin the, the sooner it's forgotten the better mm. um so I, sucks, I only guys. have uh, no yeah i know thanks <laughs> <laughs> i uh, i only have one more to talk about which mm. is uh my last criterion challenge watch which was the age of innocence um which i i don't know if this is is this the romance one i don't know it's number eight yeah that's romance okay so yeah it's my romance pick i'd never seen the age of innocence uh i love scorsese obviously and i liked the movie it's not my favorite topic or period for film like I'm not a Jane Austen fan or uh Emily Bronte or whoever wrote this thing I don't even remember who who wrote Age of Innocence. Mm. You guys know this? I don't, I don't know, but it, it's not one of those two people. No, I know that. I'm uh yeah. anyways um yeah, so I'm uh, this is not my kind of thing this like high society romance, you know, intrigue of uh Edith Wharton wrote it. Mm. Um you know, it's like a love triangle between Daniel Day-Lewis and Michelle Pfeiffer and Winona Ryder. Mm. And it's in, like, super high-class society, New yeah. York City in the 1870s. So that puts me off of it and makes me not want to watch it. But it's Scorsese, so that overrides everything. Mm. Um, and so I bought the Criterion. I watched this, and it's quite good. It's, you know, there's nobody more reliable than Scorsese. He makes an entertaining picture, even out of something that you're not interested in. And the thing that I like the most about it was the editing. Thelma Schoonmacher's editing in this is absolutely insane. Like, some of the shit that they're doing, it's just so kinetic and all over the place. There's a scene at the beginning of this where they're at an opera, and um, Richard E. Grant who plays sort of a like the a gossiping fellow who uh 
everybody's afraid he'll know their business. And he he's watching everybody uh, through through the opera glasses, like who are in mm-hmm. the opera house. And they do this cut where like they show the audience, but it's like in still photographs, and they're just like flying by the camera as he's like panning across the room. It's I, I it just completely blew me away. It's in like the first five minutes of like what is going on? Like that's such a bizarre choice, but it really works, man. I really enjoyed all like that kind of stuff in this. There's a lot of that uh, sort of thing in this movie. Just this really kinetic editing. Uh, you know, just like shit he was doing around this time, like Cape Fear and, and mm. Goodfellas, uh, it's very similar and similarly edited. That's the only similarity. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think the acting is, you know, mm. uh, ranges from really good to fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't love Michelle Pfeiffer. And I'm surprised. I cannot imagine why Winona Ryder got an Oscar nomination for this. Uh, I like Winona Ryder, but she's n- yeah. not doing anything special in this movie at mm. all. But I don't weird. know. Maybe they were like, oh, we missed our chance with Crucible, so we'll give her this one. A Crucible was after this, I believe. Crucible was in oh, 90, my bad. 96, I think it's 90, I think. Oh, 90, That late? I was going to say 94, but either way, after. I thought it was yes. early. I'm sorry. I thought it was early 90s because, like, I mean. Let's just look it up there, Kevin. I'll just look it up right now. <laughs> Okay, you want to fuck around? Find out. Just kidding with you. Let's see. Crucible, nineteen ninety six. I was right. All right, son of a bitch. He's uh, yeah. I like. I mean, the Crucible is another one that's. I like the story of the Crucible. I like. I love the play, the Crucible, but I don't. The film isn't amazing. It's okay. Paul Schofield rules in it, though. (laughs) I mean, he's the best in everything. He's he's very good. He's he plays the uh, not to not to constantly bring it back to Hamlet, but he plays the uh, the father's <laughs> ghost in um, in the Mel Gibson Hamlet, mm. and it's just it's he's so good. His scene is so good. Have you anyway? Se- have you seen Man uh, for All Seasons? I have not. Oh, you need to. I will. I will see th- anything that has Schofield in it. I'm a hundred percent in. Uh, but yeah, so I like the Age of Innocence. Didn't love it, but I did like it quite a bit. Mm. And uh, I will be rewatching it in years to come, just for that editing, dude. That editing just blows my mind, gets me going. <laughs> I also rewatched Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets on 4K. Mm-hmm. Did and, this go uh, down for you? It went down half a star for me. Okay, uh, but it's a bummer. I still love it. Uh, you know, it still gets the like, the heart. I still there's so much about it to love and it's very entertaining but I will say that I don't mind the character dynamics like I think Jordan's big problem with it was that the, he said there's no chemistry between the two leads and I don't necessarily agree with that but I will say that their scenes are written poorly I think that the dialogue is kind of lame but uh in those scenes but everything else is everything else works for me pretty well and I love the market sequence so good so good so mobius-esque speaking of which i just went to um new orleans all day yesterday with jonathan to the record shops and uh spent way more money on records than i should have did you go to uh, sisters in christ did when sisters in christ was the last place we went should have been the first place because we always find the best shit there i bought like three constellation records so cheap amazing and then i bought uh I got a couple of, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jeffrey Catherine Jones. 
the artist from the 70s and 80s. Uh, she was a trans artist. Uh, like a, I guess before that was really a term. But um, but she does like fantasy paintings and drawings and stuff. And I got two of her books, and they're awesome. Just mm. the 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 ink work is insane. I really enjoy that shit. But anyways, but he's I, I say that because she's like uh, you know, doing similar stuff to what Mobius was doing. Anyway, that's all I got. All right, my my last two are, um, you know, follow ups from last episode. Uh, for another data point, you know, for uh, what John Huston was doing with his career in the eighties, <laughs> I watched Escape to Victory which is just a pretty bland, you know, Hollywood-style prison escape movie, like World War II thing. I mean, it, it, it's the great escape, but there's a, a soccer match, um, and that's it. There's little to recommend, I think, uh, because you can you can get this movie in a few different packages that are much more entertaining and, uh, and more interesting. Like The Great Escape? Like The Great Escape, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's an hour longer, but uh, that it's hour better, though, is, worth, I'm, I'm is sh- worth it. I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's way better. <laughs> you know, um, so that's fine. Sylvester doesn't have Stallone, Stallone in it. He yeah. does not embarrass himself next to everyone else. That's good. You know, but that's whatever. Um, what year is this again? That was 81. 81. 81. Stallone's a good actor. I mean, the, I, do you agree that Stallone is a good actor? Or I he can be? Sure. He can be. He's a good actor. I, he's done, I'm, he's I'm put trying to give like good examples yeah. besides Rocky. First Blood. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen that in too long. I really I, liked him in Tango and Cash. I don't think he's good. Well, <laughs> Tango I mean, Cash yeah. is ridiculous. Well, but, I mean, he he's good in it. He's funny in that. It's a good comedic performance. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Copland, I mean, you haven't seen Copland, Jared, but Copland is a great performance from him. I think uh, I think First Blood is his best performance, in my opinion. Mm. But uh, And I think his performance in Rocky is quite good. I don't like the film very much, but I like his performance in it. But yeah, I think he's he's much more... Ca- he's the most capable of acting in, out of all of the sort of 80s action stars. Mm. That sounds true. That sounds... That feels true. Yeah. Uh, and the other one I watched, based on uh, some very strong recommendations from this group was Money Train. Um, Money <laughs> not, not, tra- recommendation, <laughs> not recommendations. Not recommendations. Watch it. <laughs> uh, Money Train, you know, starring Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson uh, in 1995, trying to recapture that magic from uh, White Men Can't Jump. And uh, to recapture that magic, they decided that they would not write a movie and would instead just put them in front of the camera, give them a basic setup. You guys are transit cops. You work in the subways. Uh, and we'll kind of find the plot as we go along, uh, because I thought this was going to be about them deciding to rob the money train. Uh, and it is about that in yeah, the last is, right? 20 minutes. In oh, the last yeah. 20 minutes, it is about that. Wow. Uh, this this movie is is a it's it's such it is just such a mess. Uh, in, in in terms of like this, we have this idea that Hollywood movies should have plots and. Uh, and this one thinks about it for a little bit at the beginning and is like, nah, let's introduce Jennifer Lopez. Uh, (laughs) and we think, all right, so this is a cop movie, buddy cop movie, but it's really going to be more about the romance with this Jennifer Lopez thing. And it's like, nah, not going to do that either. Uh, then they introduce Chris Cooper doing the fire stuff, right? (laughs) Except then, but then Chris Cooper dies with 40 minutes left in the movie. And you're like, well, so why was Chris Cooper here? What did this mean? 
and now now we're getting on a money train it's and all of a sudden yeah whatever it's uh <laughs> it's not good it's not good woody harrelson and wesley snipes are not good um and you know yeah i don't recommend that's uh mm. that's fine I I think I'd seen I think I don't know that I never I know that I've never sat down and watched this movie but I feel like I could tell you so much about it like I've seen a lot of it so maybe I watched it on TV or something but um you know it's one of those movies that comes out when you're a kid and it's like it's an action movie and it's got funny stuff in it and you mm. know, it's like a it's like a like buddy cop like um like a Shane Black vehicle or something mm. it, yeah I mean it is definitely that it is mm-hmm definitely trying to do a shame black thing you know with with woody harrelson's gambling problem you know he's like a, a degenerate who's constantly in debt uh the uh wesley snipes and harrelson are, are foster brothers so wesley snipes is in the role of constantly like looking out for and rescuing harrelson it's i mean that part that, that doesn't sound bad when i say that out loud that does not sound bad that could work in a different movie I need uh, to rewatch it, bud. Does not work in this movie. <laughs> I was looking at who wrote it. Doug Richardson. He wrote Bad Boys, apparently, and Die Hard Two. No mm. one. Seriously? Yeah, okay. apparently. I, I would have said no one here ever worked again, but that's not true. He also uh, wrote the screenplay to Hostage, the 2005 Bruce Willis sort of comeback attempt. Hmm. I recently, Which I remember not hating, but uh, I don't know. I recently added um, director Joseph Rubin's earlier movie with uh, Julia Roberts to my Netflix queue, my DVD queue, Sleeping with the Enemy. Oh, yeah, Figured yeah. that's some, like, uh, 90s thriller nonsense that I should probably see. Yeah, I've heard of that. I haven't seen it. I went through a lot of my life up until recently just being really anti Julia Roberts won't watch anything she's in, you know. Why? I don't I just don't like her. I like, still just cuz like she's her. like the she is the establishment. No, from it's your not childhood. that. It's really not that. I just I think the things that I've seen her in I'm just like I don't I I find her annoying. Like, I I don't know her performances bother me. I don't I don't know why. I like like Aaron Brockovich. I'm just not into it. I don't know. I mean, I thought Aaron Brockovich was fine when my wife and I rewatched it recently and but it's I been a long time I really liked but her. I mean it's been a long time since I watched it. But I mean, I don't know. I I can't think of anything that I really liked her in. I thought she maybe was. Like, I, th- I liked her in Hook, as as Tinkerbell. <laughs> but she's barely in that. So <laughs> I thought she was the best part of Mystic Pizza. I haven't seen Mystic which Pizza. Which is another, just another thing I saw recently. One of the movies I avoided. Yeah, I hated. Don't, yeah, don't watch Mystic Pizza. <laughs> I hated Notting Hill. Mm. But I don't know that it was because of her necessarily. Although she probably contributed to it. Just my immense hatred of her i remember hating the fact that she was in confessions of a dangerous mind because i loved confessions of a dangerous mind when i was a teenager mm. and or in my early 20s or whenever the fuck it came out and uh i uh i hated that she was in it at all and i saw closer twice in the theater by myself i really liked closer but i remember thinking like she's the weakest part of it even though at that point, I guarantee she's not the weakest part of that film. Mm. But I was just like, that was just my like, you know, intense hatred of her coming through. Was she the weakest part of Flatliners? I don't uh, think no. so. No, 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 not even close. Flatliners was the weakest part of Flatliners. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's and like Charlie Wilson's War, I saw her. I don't remember her in that, but uh, 
you know, mm. she's probably fine. She's, I'm mean, sure, sure she's fine. I don't know. I just, I had this weird sort of anti her bent. Oh, mm. the Mexican. I used to watch the Mexican all the fucking time. I never mm. saw that. I couldn't stand her in the Mexican. Why were you watching it all the time? Isn't it like oh, just her and Brad Pitt? Just no, she's not. It's more she's her really and James it. Gandolfini. It's her and James Gandolfini, but it's Brad. Brad Pitt's really funny in it, and mm. I, I, I thought I remember enjoying the film quite a bit. It's a Gore Verbinski film. It's um, mm. yeah, I'm sure I would love it because of that. It's not horrible. It's I mean I remember not I remember like liking it. Uh, you know, for the time I'm sure I don't know if I'd like it now. I liked her in Conspiracy Theory. Okay, what do you mm. want from me? She's fine in Conspiracy Theory. I'll never watch it. And I saw I Love Trouble in the theater in 1994, and I remember nothing about it. Nick Nolte's in it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, Kevin, do you have anything else? Uh, uh, the Madness of King George with uh, Nigel Hawthorne and a megaton of British actors that are still working today. It's really, nice. really good. Um, yeah, watch it. All right. Yeah, I've heard uh, some good things about that. Wasn't he up for an Oscar for that? I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. Yeah. I but watched yes. that in school. I don't, why would I watch that in school, in high school? History high class, school. man. Right. Yeah, sure. but it's about... I, I mean, I mean, yeah, I was, I, if you're doing like... I don't know. I guess if you're doing like uh, the Revolutionary War, but like it takes place after the Revolutionary War... So I don't know. Maybe they yeah. had a, you had a unit on King George, and you had to. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe the teacher maybe the teacher just liked it. Maybe. Oh yeah, we had a uh, we had a, uh, a in my Spanish class in high school. We watched The Mask of Zorro because you know mm. they speak Spanish sometimes in it. Yeah, and then we watched a Spanish dub of Gladiator. <laughs> what? Which is like why? Like what are we doing? Yeah. So, anyways, but it was cool to watch Gladiator at school, you know? It was, like, really violent and everything. Mm. And it was pretty new at the time, so pretty yeah. exciting. Uh, anyways, all right, well, let's move on to uh, The Boys from Brazil. This is Kevin's Picks from 1978. It's directed by Franklin Schaffner. It stars just legends of the screen. Gregory Peck, Lawrence Olivier, James Mason, mm-hmm. Steve Gutenberg. You know, just legends. Legends. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, some weirder uh, casting, like Ann Mira is in this. Uh, mm. And uh, Bruno Gans has a, a scene that is great if you love Bruno Gans. Mm. Very, and I do. He's very sleepy relative <laughs> to the rest of the movie, but <laughs> yeah. we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Kevin, uh, lay it on us. Actually, you know what? Let me tell the people what this is about. Okay. This is about... Um, Nazi hunter Ezra Lieberman <coughs> discovering a sinister and bizarre plot to rekindle the Third Reich. So Olivier plays Lieberman, who's based on a real-life Nazi hunter. I can't remember his name. Uh, and uh, Wiesenthal, I think? Simon yeah, Wiesenthal? Yeah, Simon Wiesenthal. Mm. That's right. Um, and he's uh, on the trail. Well, he is turned on to the trail of uh, Gregory Peck, who plays the real-life Nazi. What's his name? Mangala. Mangala, yeah. Mangala, yeah. yeah. Joseph Mangala. The Angel of who Death. Is, uh, yeah, the Angel of Death, the, the, the notorious sort of doctor at Burkow and uh, all these other places who was uh, experimenting on live Jewish people and doing horrible, horrible things to them. And uh, now, in the 70s, he wants to, uh, you know, get Hitler cloned 
a little bit. Mm-hmm. Try to, re- like it's, as the plot synopsis says, rekindle the Third Reich. Which uh, may or may not work. Kevin, what's going on, man? You like this book a lot, I know. Yeah, I love the book. Uh, Ira Levin is one of my favorite authors. Um, and I, I was thinking, I was thinking about this movie because, uh, you know, I checked and neither of y'all had uh, logged it. And you know, Gregory Peck, Lawrence Olivier, um, James, you know, James Mason, Franklin Schaffner. I was like, yeah, this is this seems like something that would. That would be an interesting thing to watch because I had watched it back in like 2016, but you know, five years, you know, you forget a lot about what's, what's in a movie. Um, and also like, um, you know, as we're, as we're sitting in the really like kind of troubling and weird times of 2021 with, uh, you know, lots of, lots of horrible things going on around us. Um, you know, there, there's a big, there's a big thing these days of, you know, like find a Nazi and punch that Nazi. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so I thought it would be interesting to watch a movie where, um, spoiler, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert early on, um, like Lieberman prevents the, the plot, the, the, the whole, the thing from really kind of taking place. But there is a really interesting question at the end of the book and the movie where it's like, you know, it's very much a nature versus nurture thing. So it's like, okay, these guys were cloned from Adolf Hitler and they were kind of, you know, Mengele's plan is to like clone Hitler, then set up scenarios throughout their lives to hopefully like recreate the conditions uh, under which... Hitler could become Adolf Hitler. And when at the end Lieberman's like, you know, I don't think you're the kind of person to just kill children. You know, I think that's I think that's a really interesting question that we can still ask ourselves today because obviously there's a lot of like, you know, nationalism and racism and, you know, kind of fascist things that were kind of going on over the last few years and still kind of continue. So I think it's interesting now to ask this question again, because it feels very, very relevant. That's uh, fair. I think the, okay. So the main central issue I have with this movie, which may be dealt with more in the book is the conceit of, Mangala's plan like mm. I think that Mangala's plan is supposed to be a smart plan I think that he thinks it's going to work I think that uh, you're supposed to believe it will work you're supposed to be scared by the idea of Hitler being cloned mm-hmm. and the s- sort of idea that any of these boys that he's cloned as Hitler would grow up to be Hitler Mm. seems absolutely implausible to me. Like, there's no way it could ever happen. And the reason is because you can make the man Hitler just like Hitler, but you can't reproduce the political environment Mm. that Hitler was in at the time when he came to power, right? It's like, 
just to say, oh, Hitler becomes the, you you recreate Hitler in the nineteen set or whenever in the eighties, I guess, is when he would probably you know be of age and everything, mm. uh, and that he will somehow come to power in the United States makes absolutely no sense to me, and I can't believe that anybody who is coming up with this plan would think that it would. It just seems completely ridiculous. Uh, that being said, I mean, like for instance, I mean, what you're just saying about how it relates to today, these boys. At most, if they became like Hitler, if they were somehow, uh, like, you know, they turned out to be extremely racist against, you know, other cultures and everything, mm. that, at, at best they would just become like, uh, you know, neo-Nazis and Proud Boys and stuff. You know, they wouldn't have any mm. real power. They wouldn't do anything big necessarily. And even Hitler himself, uh, from the little bit of that I, I'm not, I'm not a history scholar or anything, but... Hitler was sort of on the fence about doing anything that he, you know, but when he went before he got into power, that is, I mean, once he got into power, obviously, you know, he's not on the fence about the final solution and things like this, but mm. he was an artist, you know, and there was, I think there's a, there's a movie called Max with um, John Cusack where uh, that's about his, him like deciding whether or not to like becoming radicalized essentially politically uh, at, while he's an artist and this guy Max trying to, you know, pull him down the the path of being an artist as opposed to being the the sort of warmonger war criminal that he became mm. and uh and i mean i think that's that's another thing you have to think there's just so many factors to a person's life that it's absurd to think that you would just clone someone and they would become you know the fourth reich they would just you know start the the whole thing over again it makes no it would be more it would make more sense for mangala to just be like i'm hitler now i'm going to do it you know like I just don't understand what like how they can't see that as characters. They seem smarter than that. That being said, I uh, enjoyed the film for the most part. I loved Olivier in it. Great performance from Olivier. I was a little bit on the fence at first, but man, he's just so subtle in this. Really good. I as opposed to Gregory Peck, who's you know completely unsubtle but i also <laughs> kind of like gregory peck's performance as well mm. it's just so cartoony and ridiculous uh but i really liked olivier i liked how tired he seemed all the time it yeah just really <laughs> i don't know it just it worked he's just so old and just like you know he's like a nazi hunter but he doesn't really do anything you know he's just kind of mm. investigating constantly you know it's not what you think about when you think of Especially with like this stupid show that's on Amazon now, the Hunters show with Logan Lerman and oh, Al Pacino, yeah, yeah. where they're was, literally hunting Nazis and murdering them with knives and guns and stuff. I was wondering if these are are connected. Are these those are not connected in any way? Correct. I don't not believe based so. on the same people. Not oh no, don't no, have no. the yeah, same Hunter, authors. Okay, Hunters is a uh, I believe it's based on a graphic novel. It's completely fictional. Mm. Okay, as far as I know, the actual yeah. I mean um, Simon Wiesenthal who uh olivier is based on is like he actually uh found nazis in in south america you mm. know and then had them extradite like it's like he does like he says in the film like he doesn't want to he's not interested in like killing joseph mangala he wants to get him on trial and you know mm. bring him back to israel and put him on trial so that was like his whole deal but anyways, right. so yeah i mean it's uh i i just have i have a lot of problems with the movie but um like i say i think it's sort of for me, it's saved by the performances of those two actors and James Mason. I don't know. I mean, he's fine in it. Yeah. I didn't really. I didn't really. He's barely in it, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I but I but I like I you know there are certain scenes that I just really enjoy. Like I enjoyed the scene where they were at the 
the Nazi ball or whatever it was, and Gregory mm. Peck attacks that guy because he's not doing his assassination like he's supposed to. He right. Just, like, drags him into that table. I thought that was really great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm realizing more and more how much I like Gregory Peck. I need to... You need to watch more Gregory Peck shit, man. Mm. I love the gunfighter, and he looks just like he did in the gunfighter in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's got that crazy mustache. Yeah. But he's also quite sinister, like quite evil in this. Yeah. You know, plays it really well. Anyways, JR, what'd you think about the boys from Brazil? Uh, you know, I, th- I thought a lot about uh, what both of you said. Um, just like, I think that that stuff ends up in this movie, at least in the movie version just not mattering at all because I, I, I understand that there's like this sort of like this allegorical element that we can apply to current times. And I also agree that there is an absurdity to the plot that makes no sense, but you know, 15 minutes in, I had kind of just decided, well, this is basically like going for, for like, you know, maybe like smart bond movie in terms of tone like this i definitely just kind of went along with the the pulp of it all um and once i was in that space i found this to just be a really entertaining kind of uh you know pulpy thriller and i was i was happy with that uh i didn't love um didn't love olivier as much as you uh fuck off but i did like (laughs) did really like peck um and, you know, I think I was pretty happy when Gutenberg died. I was uh, thrilled when Gutenberg died. I, and I'm not, not because I didn't like Gutenberg, but I was just like, I don't need this guy to be in the movie. I, just, like, I, I don't. And even like his, his sort of like wide eyed, I'm so happy I'm hunting the Nazis shtick was just weird. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was happy for that to go. But, you know, uh, it, it, and that's. That's all I really I, have to say. I, I almost think like the Bruno Gans scene was in like a different movie where Bruno Gans is just like so seriously thinking about uh, like the cloning and what this could mean or, or for just like science. And he's just like sitting there very quietly contemplating all of it. And I was like, I, I really liked the scene, but I was like, this had a, just a bizarre tone in the last 40 minutes of the movie. Mm. I have a note that Gutenberg looks just like Eric Bana in Munich. Like he has the exact same haircut and he's like wearing <laughs> tank tops constantly and shit. And I remember thinking when the That's movie good. started, I don't know what's going on in the movie. And when it starts, like, I don't know who Steve Gutenberg is. And I thought he was a Mossad agent. Mm. I was like, is he like from Israel? Like, is he, that's why, that's what he's doing. But then that's kind of what turns me off to his character is that he's not a Mossad agent. He's just some like kid who has like a hobby of mm. hunting Nazis. And it, it, it reminded me of uh, Dress to Kill, the Brian De Palma film where there, oh, yeah. there's a kid in that who, you know, is like, sort of like an amateur sleuth and I'm never into children being amateur sleuth. It's not my thing. Uh, <laughs> but there's the, uh, I have, I have a note here. Elevator shot. Oh, the, uh, the winding, uh, shot. Oh yeah, the, that's right. The Where landlord they going up the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good mm, stuff. Yeah. I remember thinking that was pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, that's really good. Did you guys notice where, where did you guys watch this movie? I watched it on Tubi. Uh, you know, which is a disaster. And I, I had a question about my viewing. I wonder if it's the same as yours. Is it sound related? It's like everything was put through like a, a phaser. Flanger? Oh, yeah, I fa- gonna, okay. yes. I, was, I said flanger, mm. uh, but I, it may be a phaser. Yeah, it's like... And, and it's, it's, it's not like... the dialogue, It's it, but it's like every sound effect and a lot of the score 
Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I didn't want to bring it up cause I didn't know if it was intentional. Uh, oh, I did write down, I did write down mm. phaser I, effects. If that, <laughs> if that was intentional, I thought that was like a really cool kind of clue into the sci-fi element of all this. Just kind of having that, that sort of phasey distortion thing. See, I uh, would never, everything. I don't know. You think that that might've been intentional? I would I never know. think that was intentional. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I watched, did, did, did you, yeah, go ahead, Kevin. I watched it on DVD and that's not on there. Uh, it's got to well, be a streaming thing. Guys, then. Tubi is mm. the way to watch this. Then I watched it <laughs> with, on. With uh, I, re- I watched it on iTunes though, oh. and, it, and it played the same way. Oh, so. weird. Maybe maybe there's just like one like rip that's on a server somewhere, and everybody shares yeah. it. I would expect that is the case. Uh, yeah, and that means that rip sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um. One one of the things that I I noticed like kind of off the bat was like the score especially this like swinging like waltz that opens up the movie and it's like it's played throughout it's like that was something i just could not get behind like i think jerry goldsmith is a really good composer but this was for me not one of his best uh best pieces the That's the rest fair. of the you movie know- has some more like I, I don't just more like stereotypical seventies thriller kind of stuff, but when it starts getting into that like bombastic waltz, it's like nah, I'm mm-mm, mm-mm, I'm out. Gold Goldsmith did the score for Planet of the Apes, <laughs> and it is awesome. Mm. It's like avant garde. It's totally bizarre. It's got like weird noises and shit in it. Nice, it's amazing, arrhythmic. It's just really good stuff. Um. There's a topless native swing, sweeping Mangala's porch in that one scene. Like, that was just really out of nowhere, mm. right? Like, she's just completely topless so sweeping the porch. They couldn't figure out how to get nudity anywhere else in the movie. In the I yeah. suppose the so. 70s. We need an R rating here, guys. That's right. <laughs> uh, you got a lot of uh, recognizable faces in here. You got Brody from Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You got uh, Alfred from Batman. Yeah. Michael, Michael Goff, who is also in... Um, Age of Innocence. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got uh, Mr. Slugsworth from uh, Willy Wonka also. Yeah. And speaking of uh, Bond movies, uh, the guy that uh, Peck is like trying to strangle at the uh, at the ball, that was uh, a guy who was in like, I don't know, six, seven Bond movies as like the, the one Russian general who's just kind of working uh, the Russian side of intelligence. So... Oh yeah. Um, uh, I, did you guys mention Lily, Lily Palmer? Who no? is she again? She was in a bunch of European movies in the. Uh, who, who is she? In oh, oh, she's Esther Lieberman. Lieberman's sister. She's in like she was Fritz Lang's Coke Cloak and Dagger. Oh, oh she's in another cool. side of the wind. Um, I think yeah. Body and Soul is uh, yeah. is quite good. Robert Rosen movie. Mm. Yeah, I thought she was good in the movie as well. Um, I I have a so just not to jump immediately to the last scene, but the uh, the scene in the in the in the home at the end with the dogs. Mm. Uh, I like it quite a bit actually. I thought it was like a really interesting idea. Like a great way to, I mean, I'm sure. And this is, I'm sure this is in the book. Yes, like this is Ira Levin's idea. But this idea to keep 
Mangala at bay with the dogs, mm. like so that they can actually have a conversation, but you know they they can't be violent against one another because these dogs are like ready to rip them apart. And uh, I like that whole scene. I love the idea of it. I do have issues with sort of the movie logic of it, where the dogs are barking nonstop, but when Lieberman gets there, they're not barking anymore, mm. which is like you know obviously oh. because he's not supposed to. Like he, you know, it's not to be revealed to his character yet that the dogs are there yet or whatever. But it just seems silly to me that they stop barking. I and I was kind of like in a thank God moment. Is you know, yeah, it was late, sure. it was late <laughs> at night, my baby's sleeping, and uh, I was like, I need these dogs to stop because I'm going to go insane. But the, mm-hmm. they are terrifying animals. I mean, yeah. like Dobermans are very scary. Um, yeah, I thought the fight was really brutal. Like, mm. interestingly graphic and brutal getting yeah. like the bite, biting people's ears and shit i mean that's crazy getting shot in the wrist looks awful yeah yeah yeah, yeah. rough especially when you're like 70 years old or whatever you yeah imagine? i mean that would never heal properly yeah and like like my i i i enjoyed that scene up until like the very end of it where like when mingala is finally getting torn apart by the dogs twice he lets out these high pitched squeals yeah. that like, just like, you know, he's like the rest of the movie. Gregory Peck has his deep Gregory Peck voice. But then all of a sudden, have you ever been torn apart by Dobermans? Kevin? No, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I did. I did think that was like a deliberate <laughs> choice to, to like in that vulnerable mo- moment, make him sound as weak as possible. Yeah, I guess so. Because sure. he's, he's a bitch-ass villain. Let's talk about this kid. Uh, mm. So for my for my part, the kid looks the part, okay? Oh, for sure. But he's shit. He's shit. He's awful. He's, awful. he's like, really terrible. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I, I can't stand him. Yeah. He's, he's much worse than the Moonfleet kid. Uh, oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, like, I get it, you know? Like, he's supposed he's supposed to be playing a clone of Adolf Hitler... He's supposed to be, you know, really arrogant and whatever. But the kid's acting when he's playing he's, arrogant is just brutal, so fucking awful. Especially like we are not receiving guests at the moment. You know, like when he visits <laughs> yeah, like one of the British houses. Terrible, terrible. It's accents. so terrible. Uh, I also wrote that like like so I was I was still on this sort of. Uh, uh, feeling of like you know he's obviously not going to turn into Hitler like that was my thought throughout the whole thing like this, there's no, none of these kids are going to turn into Hitler mm. I was like you know that last kid will probably just become a serial killer you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah like because he like likes watching the dogs eat a man yeah like, you know he's holy a dark man. He shit his, he saw his father's dead body you know it's just like he, mm. he, that's a traumatic that kid is going to start torturing animals and mm. eventually move on to humans so uh, yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think it's uh, it's you know. But isn't that, isn't that the thing that's supposed to give us pause as an audience? Aren't we supposed to see him enjoying that, and think, oh, this kid yeah, really but, could become Hitler? I don't yeah, think but that. What, but. I don't. It's like uh, what 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 you'd have to be retarded to think like that that would happen. It's just like you just follow it to its logical conclusion. How is this kid going to even if he becomes Hitler? How's he going to get in power? Like it makes no sense. Well, I think that's yeah. also part of like like the like especially when like you know about about halfway through the movie like Mingala is the only one who's like convinced it's going to work like 
uh, James Mason's like, nah, nah, we're, you know, like, like Mingala says, like, you just want to lay in the sun in your old age. And it's like, um, you know, so he's approaching this with a, you know, like a fanatic, but all the other Nazis are just like, nah, we're, we're happy living in South America and going to our balls and, you know, hang, right. hanging, hanging our, our stuff on the wall and remembering the glory days of the Reich and, Etc. He's sort of the last. He's like the last true believer. Yeah, exactly. And everybody else is just like you know, we're fine having the Nazi flags hanging yeah. around while we're partying, yeah. but uh, we there, don't really care about yeah. at the beginning at that um, where they're introducing when Gregory Peck is being introduced to the other Nazi uh, co-conspirators mm. at the beginning when Gutenberg is is recording it or uh, yeah yeah recording it. I swear. One of those guys was like hired specifically to be a Claude Rains lookalike. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, bring bring back that notorious connection. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, ratings. I'm going three. Um, I enjoy. I enjoyed most of the performances, but. I mean, between between the music and the kids acting and um, like, I mean, as far as the concept goes, I think it's yeah, it it is far fetched, but I don't think it's you know too out of the realm of possibility that in any of the like, however many countries they have these clones, like some sort of like fascist leader could have come up like obviously it wasn't going to be you know hitler the way hitler was but something something along similar lines um but i i will say that like one of the things that i did remember about the differences between the book and the movie the book is able like ira levin is able to make such good use of suspense that you literally cannot get unless it's on the page in your imagination like there's a scene where like uh, Esther is talking to somebody on the phone, and then at the very end of this conversation, you know it's like Mengele hung up the phone, and like there's no way to convey that on in a movie because there's no way Peck is going to be able to disguise his voice like that. So it's those sorts of interesting things that make the book hold up better for me. But um, you know the movie's not horrible, so. Three. Jr. I think I'm. Uh, I, th- I think I've talked myself up and listened uh, to you guys. I, I think I'm going to go. Uh, I don't know. Two point seven five. Because I also don't dislike it, and I enjoyed uh, parts of it. Mm. I am along the same lines, but I'm a two point five. Okay. So. And I probably will add this to my long book list. I am curious about that. Mm. I've never read any IR-11. All right. So let's go to the boys from Brazil mm. and the uh, letterbox page. We got the first six actors, Gregory Peck, Lawrence Olivier, James Mason, Lily Palmer, and Yuta Hagen. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure. Okay. Yuta Hagen's been in five things. <laughs> so do we want to change her out for Steve Gutenberg? Yeah, let's All do right, it. Uh, and well, I will lose. Gutenberg is number six. Is he one, two, three, four, five? Oh, you're right. So yeah. let's change out Yuta Hagen for Denim Elliot then. Okay, okay. Who is uh, you know in Indiana Jones and shit? For sure. 
Okay, I'm going to uh, get my dice out. Here we go. You guys see my dice here? Mm -hmm. It's right here. Four. Four. And it's four. So we're looking at Lily Palmer, which means JR has won this already. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was talking about Lily Palmer earlier. Uh, Yeah, so I lose for sure. Yep. I've watched one of her movies, which is this movie. <laughs> I've seen two, I've seen two of her movies because I've seen The Other Side of the Wind. Oh, I should you know, watch that. And I've only seen five. You guys, you guys could have had this one. <laughs> only seen five. <laughs> All right, so uh, that means Kevin and I lose once again. I'm gonna pick a movie that is so recent and has so many actors from like '90s cinema that Kev- that Jer has no idea about. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to crush him next time, Kevin. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to generate a number between 1 and 887.58, which is how many movies are now on the random movie roulette list. The number is 4810. 48. Please be something 10. good. Please be something oh good. God, right. Please be something good. It's, it's horrifying. Yeah, because like we have not had great success. Like the best thing that we, the best thing, (laughs) no, no. (laughs) son of a bitch. The best thing we've we've watched so far is the Looney Tunes short. Actually, uh, three of the four of my letterbox friends that have seen this, um, two of the four actually like it. So maybe, maybe it's okay. Forty-eight ten. What is it? It's called uh, Spookies. It's from 1986. It is uh, directed by three people that I've never heard of. That's always a good Uh, sign. Taking a wrong turn, travelers find themselves trapped in a mysterious house. One horror after another threatens them as the sorcerer who lives within needs sacrifices to give eternal life to his beautiful bride. Okay, I'll be honest with you. This is fine. I have no issue with an 85-minute like, cheap 80s horror. I think it, yeah, I think it was exactly. Okay. okay, okay. I'm in. I'm 100 into this. Like, I have no problem with that. Jo- well, <laughs> j- actually, in, in John, he just saw that Jay Cheel has watched this movie, so he's like, oh, cool. <laughs> that doesn't mean he didn't. He he doesn't have a rating for it though. He scrubbed all his ratings because he doesn't rate shit anymore. So I have no idea what, what he thinks of it. Mm. What a co- what a coward. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. But I have another. I have another guy that I follow, Jim Laskowski, who's. Uh, he does the Directors Club podcast, or he used to, and he uh, he rated it a three point five. So I think it'll be fine, you know. Um, I'm into it. I'll watch it. Spookies from yeah. 1986. If you guys want to, uh, you, the listeners want to join in on our punishment. Uh, all right. So aside from that, uh, we're going to be watching. 100 year old movies next week, right? We're each picking one. Have we picked them officially? Mm-hmm. Or do we want to wait till the show to announce that? We'll just uh, announce them on the show because I okay. don't remember what we had. Uh, and uh, next week is my pick for the big episode 100. You know what's weird about that? It's my mm. pick on episode 100, and I picked episode one also. That oh, wild? that's right. Because well, we've, yeah. we've had varying exactly, numbers of, exactly. Uh, yeah, and we've yeah, also was... had a couple of episodes where none of us picked anything. Like we did. Uh, the Star Wars film on one of them right. in uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Buster Scruggs. Buster Scruggs, right? Yeah. So, and I wasn't even on that episode. Well, the fiftieth. 
Well, the oh, Star right, Wars the one, one too. that w- that was also your your pick because we did Bug. Oh, did we? I forgot um, about that. Yeah, and I think Buster Scruggs, like we just, it was supposed to be uh, Synecdoche. Skin- yeah, Synecdoche. Yeah. Yeah, um, but then we just put Buster Scruggs to on to drive some traffic through because it, <laughs> it, it had just come out. Didn't we do? Synecdoche? You did that same episode, but he's yeah, just saying did. they ad- you added Buster Scruggs also. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, well, that's great. I'm sure uh, that you will also manipulate this so you pick episode 200. <laughs> you want to you wanna have well, all you the got years to, to go before we get there, so you can, uh, you know, fuck me over somehow before we... Uh, let's see. So for <laughs> next week's episode, I, I, you know, I know I should always pick it before I get there, but it's just so hard. I don't know what to pick. I'm between, mm. like, four different movies. And I'm also now I'm like thinking about winning next time. <laughs> I know, right? It's, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be thought thinking about that, but I am. No, you oh, know what? No. Fuck it. You should be altruistic. No, I am going to be altruistic. I'm going to pick a movie that I think we're all going to really like, which is Melvin and Howard, which is directed by Jonathan Demme from 1976 cool. maybe or maybe, no no it was 1980 actually i think 1980 let's see melvin mm, yeah 1980 yeah 1980 it stars jason robards and uh paula matt and mary steenbergen mm. in an early role that right. she was i believe she was nominated for something for yeah pretty sure it was an okay yeah so uh for supporting yeah. actor oh t- Wait a minute, wait Joe's, a minute, wait a minute. Joe Spinell's in this too. JR has watched this. JR, when did you watch this? Yeah. You watched this recently. I did a, uh, I did a whole like dead We're dead done. deep I'm not dive this movie. Uh, I'm not last year. This movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is on my list because you hadn't seen I was, it. I was surprised. Fuck was Melvin surprised, and Howard. I, uh, <laughs> it's great, it is it's a great good movie. movie. We're not watching it. Fuck that shit. <laughs> God damn it, JR. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? Fuck you. You know what? Just for that? <laughs> Just for that? We're going to watch something that you and I talked about this week. Do you, do you know Uh-oh. what it is? SLC Punk no. 2. SLC no. Punk 2. <laughs> We're going to watch Suspect Zero, which is Elias oh. Mirage's uh, uh, follow-up to Shadow of the Vampire, which I haven't seen since the theater in 04. And I remember hating. I don't know why you think you're punishing me. I think I said I would be happy yeah, to but, watch this because I've but never seen it. I remember curious. being horrible. Oh. So, <laughs> but I, I don't know now. I mean, it depends. Yeah, I was 18 when I saw it, so like it's you know who knows? It could be good. Um, maybe I'll finally, maybe I'll finally uh, get around to rewatching. I'm Begotten, gonna, I'm going to rewatch Begotten. I fucking hate. I'm gonna do it. It's been like 20 years since I've seen it. So. I think that we're going to come away with this all thinking that Aaron Eckhart is a yeah. star. Absolutely. You know, just the dream best. Boat. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, totally. And Carrie Ann Moss is in this, riding high on the Matrix mm. fame. And Bing Kingsley is in it. So, you right. know, it could be good. Uh, who knows? It's been a long time. And uh, the only person I follow who has seen this gave it a one and a half. So, I don't know. We'll see. Suspect Zero. Directed by E. Elias Mer- Marriage or Mer- Merhige. I don't know how you say his last name. Okay, mm. let's we'll, we'll look yeah. that up before uh, next week. from 2004. So that's going to be our next episode, along with our hundred year old movies, because it's episode 100. It's going to be a big deal. Um, oh, I also I forgot to mention I I talked to Jonathan about coming back for episode 100. Would you guys have an issue with that? 
No. I don't know, man. It just like elongates the show because he's going to have to watch a hundred year old movie too. I'll tell you what, though. Is he going to watch be, anything? That's he hasn't. Uh, well, he watched Judas and the Black Messiah. We talk about that for the third week in a row. But he also, um, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> classic know, us. Right? He, I don't know. He hasn't committed to it yet. He said he, he was like, he was like, yeah, you know, I can probably do that. But he hasn't 100% committed. So I guess it'll just be a surprise well, next he, time. He can uh, come on here. He can promote his, uh, his That's music. true. Mm-hmm. And his... Uh, to all of our to our wide listening right. base yeah absolutely it's got yeah. a great tape out Ruin Garden it's really terrific uh, ambient noise awesome uh, until next time visit our website at filmyakpodcast.com email us filmyakpodcast at gmail.com uh, like and subscribe to us on iTunes rate us on iTunes and uh, Stitcher and all the other places where you get podcasts from I feel like I'm forgetting to say something, but I don't believe that I am. So we'll see you guys next time on episode 100. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Okay.